0: The Big Picture, Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. All right, welcome aboard Along the Chorus Radio Network. Rob Breckenridge with you here today. A lot of ground to cover on this Tuesday morning. Of course, we got the big Justin Trudeau, Joe Biden virtual meeting happening today. And I guess the two are going to get along a lot better than was the case not too long ago. But what does that actually mean in practice? Does is that, is that mean anything for Canadians? Are we going to get the U.S. to budge on any of these big issues? So we'll uh, keep an eye on that. Uh, a lot of other stuff to get to your calls, your tax, all of that uh, straight ahead. But I want to get to the news right out of the gate here. out uh, of Ottawa yesterday, and it was a conservative motion that was up for a vote in the House of Commons yesterday. And it concerns the situation in China, specifically the plight of the ethnic minority Uyghur Muslim population. Uh, And certainly there have been some really, I I think, disturbing and even horrific revelations that have come to light about uh, their treatment at the hands of the Chinese government. Does it reach the bar? Does it reach the threshold of a genocide? And increasingly, a lot of people believe so. And it's now the position of the House of Commons that it is indeed a genocide. That was what the conservative motion called for. That's what was voted for yesterday in the House of Commons. Now, there were no dissenting votes. However, there were a number of abstentions, including, most notably, the prime minister and his cabinet ministers. But all the liberals who did cast votes voted in favor of the motion. So is that now Canada's official position? Well, not quite. And even if it is, what does it mean in practice? Once we acknowledge that a genocide is happening somewhere, there are some obligations, at least in terms of the international conventions uh, that Canada is a party to. So joining us to talk a bit more about uh, what this all represents and where this goes from here, very pleased to welcome to the program here this morning, Stephanie Carvin, Associate Professor of International Relations at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. Professor Carvin, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me on. Uh, So a lot of questions this this raises, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it doesn't,
1: it doesn't. Um, Like, I mean... You know, it it raises questions about the role of Parliament in um, foreign affairs. It raises questions about, you know, what what does a declaration like this really mean? But I think the most important question is what comes next, right? Right. I mean, you Canada, you know, I get really frustrated sometimes. I'll be honest with you. We seem to have really just kind of two tools in our in our foreign policy toolkit, and that's either we kind of shout about things or we try to use sanctions in some kind of ham-fisted way, and you know, in this case, we seem to be making a lot of noise, but I don't see a lot of action being done or even really proposed. So, you know, I think it's important to recognize the fact that, you know, there are at, 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 you know, at the very least crimes against humanity taking place in this region of China. It's, it's pretty much indisputable at this point. Um, but the question is, you know, beyond these kind of grand declarations, what, what else are we doing? What are we going to do next?
0: Well, and that's true. And I, and I suppose in, in practice, nothing has changed from yesterday to today. I, I think this is a step in the direction of acknowledging the reality of the situation. But um, that, that has to involve much more than just statements, right, or, or angry letters and, and that kind of a response. So that is the question that if we're going to, to stand up and say, we think a genocide is occurring, we can't just sit back down.
1: Right. Exactly. You don't you don't accuse a country of doing this and then, you know, plan to go to the Olympics kind of thing. I mean, um, you know, genocide is one of the most serious crimes in international law. It is I and forget international law, just morally, um, you know, it is it is, you know, basically suggesting that you are trying to destroy in whole or in part um, a segment of a particular group of people and that it is pretty, um, you know, serious. So I guess the question is, you know, what? I guess, this, and this is where my frustration is, like, you know, we do see these, uh, you know, desire to recognize that. and I don't want to condemn that too much because, you know, I mean, this is an important issue. To to be clear to your audience, there's somewhere between one to three million people that are believed to be in some kind of uh, concentration camp situation in China. And that's just in the camp that doesn't refer to just the general level of surveillance and and repression that goes on in this area of china as well so um it's good to draw attention to the issue but again my frustration is is i think there's more that we could be doing and uh you're not seeing that now the part of the problem is of course that the cabinet itself doesn't want to recognize that you know for whatever reasons they have whether it's political whether the fact that they're still trying to deal with of course our kidnapped canadians the two michaels in china um, you know, there's a whole host of reasons why they might not want to be there. But, you know, that, that means that it's going to be harder to actually do things. But I would like to see some concrete pro- uh, proposals being put forward. We have in Parliament right now, and they met yesterday, a committee that looks at Canada-China relations in uh you know in in parliament there's so i would love to see some proposals from them as as some of you know we should be generating ideas as to how we could be moving forward on this a, a little bit more than i think we actually are i worry that sometimes in canada we conflate tough rhetoric with real action and that's just not the case
0: no, no, that's an important point. I, I think the issue here, though, and I mean, it speaks to why the government's been reluctant to officially acknowledge this is just more of a reluctance to to antagonize Beijing, perhaps even concern that that, that might mean uh, unfortunate things for the, for the two Michaels if if China's mad at us. It, it's it's just almost an unwillingness to rock the boat. So as much as the government talks about, you know, we want to better understand the situation. It just seems more like it stems from a place of of inaction. Is is that unfair?
1: A little bit. I think the criticism is valid simply because, you know, it has taken so long to really see the government do things. But I'll give you a a comparison. So last week, the government announced that it had um, over 50 countries sign an agreement, a declaration against hostage diplomacy. And this is where countries agree that if there is a a situation where someone is being taken hostage and it's being used in diplomatic terms, that all the countries that have signed on to this will bring it up in their bilateral meetings with the government that's doing that. Now, no one actually said the C word, which is China, uh, when, when this came out, but that was clearly the target of this initiative. And to me, that actually will have a much greater impact, right? That kind of institution building takes a long time to do it's boring no one really understands <laughs> you know it, it's hard to sell the general population but i trust me when i say that will actually have meaningful lasting effects if it works as planned and that means a bit more than than just making these declarations so um so, so you know uh, without especially when they're not followed up by any particular concrete action so the true government i think when it started out and just to get back to the point of your criticism was trying to go gently about this, but I think it's learned that this kind of gentle approach has just is not producing results, and it won't with regards to our relationship with China. So it is doing these kinds of things, turning to other kinds of, you know, developing other kinds of diplomatic tools that I think will really pay dividends in the future. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do think that they could be taking a, a much more strong stance against China, For example, uh, you know, one of the things I don't understand is why are we still allowing Chinese foreign investment in sectors that are sensitive or where there is a risk that Canadians could be taken hostage in retaliation if we try to bring the rule of law against such a company, right? I mean, so if there's a company, a state champion company, state-owned enterprise, and that company, you know, there's a potential that, you know, it's... That China could retaliate if we ever tried to put criminal uh, prosecutions against that company by taking Canadians hostage. Why are we allowing China to invest in Canada? <laughs> you know, and, and mm-hmm. having these kinds of joint ventures and deals, and and also, you know, like why are we selling China's surveillance technology? We should be putting export restrictions on technology that could be being used against the Uyghur people. We could be funding initiatives to help promote the Uyghur culture. Uh, maybe back here with the with the population in Canada, there's a small population, but you know we could be trying to promote their culture to help them try to preserve it. So these are kinds of things and steps that I think we could be taking that the federal government could do. That you know I think would send an important signal. We're not the United States. We're not a large country, but there are steps that other countries could then look at those steps and maybe follow them as well. So this is what I'm talking about. Like, we have to move from just condemning to acting, and I'm just not seeing this. And so I'd like to see a lot more ideas proposed by the government and the opposition, but ultimately it is up to the government to enact some of these things in place
0: well i mean you mentioned the united states and, and perhaps then this becomes relevant to the conversation today between the prime minister and the president it, it's certainly easier i think to to act on all of this to act on principle if if we know that not only does the u.s have our back but we're kind of on the same page as the u.s as it pertains to china that wasn't always the case or wasn't always clear uh, over the last four years so how important is is the u.s in all of this
1: i think it's, it's- you know, the importance should not be understated. Um, you, I noticed you, you mentioned already uh, in, in the lead up to this segment that, yes, there is going to be this meeting between Trudeau and Biden today. That's important. It's widely believed that China is will be discussed during this meeting and, and how to go about that. But as you said, the last four years, not so much. So, and it's not really clear. You know, I mean, we have Biden for four years. We don't know what's going to happen <laughs> in four mm-hmm. years in four years time. So Canada also needs to think about, you know, being, being we absolutely should take advantage of the fact that we have a president who's willing to work with us on trying to solve some of these issues. It's fundamentally important. It will make our lives so much easier. That said, there's no reason why we also shouldn't be looking to develop some independent ideas and tools and means of dealing with these things just in case, you know, it goes back to the way it was. Because there's a good chance that that could happen. So, yes, the United States is important here, and we should, you know, our lives will be, you know, much easier as Canadians were for having a kind of more friendly and reliable U.S. government in place. But one of the things is, you know, I think the lessons of the past four years, particularly in our relationship with China, but not just China, Saudi Arabia, um, India, other countries that we've been having trouble with, is we need to develop our own tools. Right, we need to be a little less reliant on the U.S. and start doing things for ourselves, and we haven't really taken those steps yet. And that's, you know, for someone who studies this for a living, it's just kind of me, um, I don't, kvetching on the radio. Is that can I do that? Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I, thank you for. I feel like next time you guys should provide me a couch to lie down on um, while well, well, I yell these things into on, on the airwaves. But I mean, yes. this is where I'd like to see Canada go. All of this suggests that, you know. I always think it's positive when Parliament is interested in foreign affairs issues. But, you know, we I would love to see Canada itself develop uh, a toolkit for dealing with these situations, because unfortunately, China isn't the only case of, of these kind of worldwide repressions. So what are we doing? How are we uh, going to develop toolkits that, to support these kind of populations that are being repressed? And, um, you know, how do we move forward to, to kind of have our own independent policies so we're not kind of you know, clenching our fists every four years trying to
0: figure out who's going to be president of the United States. Well, leave it there. Uh, Professor Carvin, I always appreciate the insight. Thanks for joining us here this morning. Thank you so much. All right, take care. Stephanie Carvin, the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs, Carleton University, and her focus on international relations, international law, and uh, her thoughts on what this vote represents. The, look, I, I would have voted for the motion 100%. But it, it's important to think about Okay, what comes next? What does it mean now? What what is our next move here? And there's a whole lot of ground between, you know, wagging our fingers on the one extreme and liberating the camps on the other. So what does it mean in practice for Canada and Canadian foreign policy? What kind of tools do we have or should we have at our disposal when it comes then to responding to a situation like this? The problem is the government is still a few steps back. The prime minister in the cabinet, as mentioned, abstained from the vote yesterday. The prime minister, when asked, has talked about how reluctant he is to use the word genocide, that it's not a word that should be used lightly. All of that, of course, undermined by what he said two years ago about this very country, Canada. And so that's a big problem for him. You can't stand there and say Canada is guilty of an ongoing genocide, but I really am not sure about China. That's just not a credible position. And that's part of the problem we box ourselves into here, at least that the prime minister has boxed himself into. So like I say, uh, the prime minister is uh, meeting uh, virtually with US President Joe Biden today. China likely to be on the agenda. Whatever else is on the agenda, I guess we'll wait and see. Probably Keystone, unless maybe that ship has sailed. Uh, by American provisions, perhaps vaccines, maybe a few other issues. So any further details on that meeting, we'll bring them to you. A lot more to get to on the program on this Tuesday morning. Let's take a quick time out here. We'll come back, set up the rest of the show. Got a few things to get to before the top of the hour. It's Rob Breckenridge with you here on the Chorus Radio Network. Welcome back. Rob Breckenridge with you on the Chorus Radio Network, filling in today, the rest of this week, filling in next week, and then, well, then I'm not sure. Uh, our number here in Calgary, 403-974-8255 in Edmonton, 780-496-0063. Now, there is the question. It was was up for debate yesterday as a part of this motion. And and certainly, look, I, I think the conservative motion was, was necessary. I certainly would have voted for it. I applaud the parliamentarians who did vote for it. Shame on, on the prime minister and his cabinet for running away from the vote. At least stand up and vote against it then. I mean, the idea of abstaining from the vote, it's, it's just cowardice. Here's the thing, though. Look, and, and there's, there's no escaping this. There's no reconciling a position to say on the one hand, yep, that's genocide happening there. And yes, we should still go to the Olympics. Like, I, I don't see how you could maintain that position. So certainly, if we're going to talk about what next, that's got to be one of the first things we address, if we're going to acknowledge that what is happening to Uighur Muslims at the hands of the Chinese government is genocide, then how on earth can we be a party uh, to, to the big party that the Chinese government wants to throw in February of next year, the Winter Olympics? We can't go, can we? I mean, how hypocritical would that be for us to say, you guys are guilty of genocide, and hey, when's your party? Sure, we'll be there. It just it doesn't make any sense. So that's one of the the I think certainly the the most obvious implications of this is we, we can't we can't go can we so I don't know and that's going to be a tough one but look I mean if you know the principle is 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 what matters doesn't it we can't turn a blind eye to what's going on there and if so how can we go to the Olympics how can we be a part of that you know, there are all kinds of reasons why we should boycott the Olympics. Certainly the situation with the two Michaels is one of them. You know, if, if China is not averse to essentially kidnapping Canadian citizens for foreign policy purposes, then how can we in good conscience send uh, hundreds and hundreds of Canadian citizens to that country? Right? That doesn't make sense either. So it's it's something to think about, isn't it? If we're going to stand on principle and say, this is what's going on, and we're going to call a spade a spade, whether China likes it or not, we can't turn around and say, hey, guys, yeah, we'll, we're happy to come to your Olympics next year. That just doesn't add up. All right. Uh, here's a text that's a little sympathetic to the prime minister. It says, Rob, maybe Trudeau and the others felt the need to abstain in order to protect the two Michaels. Also, look at the Meng Wanzhou fiasco. Maybe they only wanted one fight on their hands with China. Well, that, that may be a part of it, but I don't know if that's necessarily a defense of the, of the Trudeau government. It speaks to their inaction. And if we're afraid to say things because we're trying to protect the two Michaels, well, that's rewarding this kind of hostage diplomacy, isn't it? I mean, that's kind of the whole point of it in the first place, if China's going to kidnap two Canadian citizens and make it known to us that they're in, in a precarious situation. They're doing that because they don't want us to take these positions. They want us to, to keep our, our mouths shut about this sort of thing. That's why they call it hostage diplomacy. So, yeah, if if we're abstaining, if the prime minister is abstaining because he's trying to protect the two Michaels, then that's, that's sending a message yet again to China that this works. And, and in the long run, it puts more Canadians in danger, doesn't it? If every time we run away from one of these controversies because we want to protect the two Michaels, it sends a message that this works. If you want to influence Canadian foreign policy, if you want Canada to turn a blind eye to what you're doing, this is the way to achieve that. And that's really dangerous. So whether it's one fight or two fights or three fights, ultimately, it doesn't matter. I mean, it, it is really all just one fight. And we already are in a fight then with China in that sense. So I don't know that, that acknowledging the reality of what's happening there necessarily changes the dynamic of that fight. We shall see. All right. Uh, still to come on the program this morning, uh, speaking of foreign policy, Canada is now talking about uh, sanctions on Myanmar. Myanmar. And that's been in the news lately, that situation there. So what is going on? What is the concern? We'll get some uh, explanation of that coming up after 10 o'clock. After 10.30 this morning, we'll talk about regulating the internet or regulating big tech companies like Facebook and Google. Canada seems intent on following Australia's lead. And initially, it didn't look like Australia's plan was going all that well. They ended up in a big fight with Facebook. Facebook was blocking news pages to readers in Australia. But word today that they've worked out some compromise. So does that mean we should follow Australia's lead? Or is this kind of a, a warning that maybe we should take a different approach? So we'll talk about that coming up after 1030. 11 o'clock this morning, this is some really interesting research out of the U.S. about dreams and sleep. Is it possible that while you're sleeping, while you're in a dream state, that you're still aware of what's going on? Is it possible that you could even have a communication, have a conversation with somebody? So these researchers show that it is possible to essentially tap into somebody's dream and convey messages to them, and messages that they're even able to respond to. Some of a kind calls to mind that that movie Inception, but it is quite fascinating. We'll get to that coming up uh, later on this morning. Let's get back to the phones, though. And uh, this is Tom. Tom, go ahead. Hey, Tom, you there? Uh, Yes. Go ahead, Tom. Uh, yeah. Hi, uh, uh, Rob. I wanted to actually make a couple of, um, of points. Uh, given the, the what we've been dealing with with China for the last couple of years, for sure, or at least, that uh, uh, we need, as a country, and I'm sure all the countries should be doing the same, we need to rethink our manufacturing policies. Uh, we've given the country, China's now the second strongest economy in the world, and uh I I think uh, if we revisited our manufacturing uh, environment in Canada, we might need to reemphasize or encourage it, encourage its growth uh, rather than uh, giving China more and more power and influence uh, that it seems to be continuing to obtain. Uh, Yeah, that's an interesting point, Tom. I appreciate the phone call. Uh, We're up against the top of the hour here. A lot more still to get to on this Tuesday morning. Rob Breakenridge with you here on the Chorus Radio Network.